0: Hi right there, this is Christian Horner.
1: You've won the Austrian Grand Prix! <laughs> Hi, it's Alex Halborn. I'm Max Verstappen, and you're listening to the Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Podcast. Oh, this feels good!
0: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Talking Ball, the official Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Podcast. This episode is all about Red Bull's advanced technology, and we'll speak to surfing legend Kai Lenny. It's been a big week for the team, with the news that Formula One will begin to race again in the near future. The factory is starting to get itself back up and running, with the majority of workers coming back in. It's a big site in Milton Keynes, with loads of space, so we can spread the team out and follow strict social distancing guidelines. It's been a while since we've been able to think about racing in the factory. In recent times, along with seven other Formula One teams, we put all our efforts into the design and manufacture of medical ventilators to help with with COVID-19. In this special edition of the podcast, we've invited on Andy Damram, the head of Red Bull Advanced Technology, and Dr. Alistair Darwood, a junior doctor who designed a new portable ventilator. Andy, Alistair, thanks for joining us on Talking Ball. No problem. Guys, there's so much to talk about, Andy. I want to have a quick chat with you a little bit later about um, Red Bull Advanced Technology and some of the other projects that you've got on the go. But could you tell us a little bit to start with about Project Pit Lane and how seven UK based F1 teams? answered the call from government right at the start of this?
1: It was quite an exciting uh, project and, and collaboration. So it, it really started back um, when the UK government put out that call for ventilators. I guess from China and also from Italy, they could tell that the the, the pandemic was going to hit the UK pretty hard. And they realised that um, from the Italians and from, from other countries that ventilators are going to be an issue. It was perceived that we didn't have enough. So they put a call out to UK industry to see if they could help. It was agreed it would be a good idea for us to have a look at look at this. I think we're just it wasn't long after the Australian Grand Prix had been been cancelled. So it was the whole thing about uh, coronavirus and the effects of it were were pretty raw with, with the team, and we could tell that it was going to kick off. So this was way before lockdown had started. I made a few calls. I spoke to to Jackie Stewart. He put me in touch with Matt Hancock, and um, it really it sort of started picking up speed from there on. Um, made a few calls with a couple of other teams. And uh, throughout that week, Project Pit Lane was, was, was formed.
0: Alistair, you're a, a doctor and you had a design which you'd already designed, I think, for a new portable ventilator. Could you briefly describe what this piece of kit is and, and why it was important to redesign the ventilator?
2: As, as you said, I, I work as a junior doctor um, sort of in, in general surgery in A&E. Um, I've actually taken some, some time out um, doing a PhD in bioengineering. So I have a quite an active interest in, in medical device product development, previously working quite a lot in, in, in medical robotics. Prior to to everything kicking off with the coronavirus ventilator requirements, I had a, a small startup producing um, a novel, very small-scale ventilator aimed at the trauma and emergency market. So this was uh, working in collaboration um sort of various uh, military agencies, uh, first response agencies, trying to design a product for for use in those situations. Once this process kicked off um, and it became clear that there might be a a urgent need for uh, ventilators quickly, in the uk this ventilator seemed to have a perfect fit or perfect use profile to be able to be built quickly and what we needed was engineering assistance to get this done as fast as possible
0: so a ventilator as as i briefly understand it is a device which obviously helps you breathe is that is that correct is that as simple as it is
2: absolutely i think i think everyone's heard so much about ventilators over the last few weeks and even people who've never heard of them before In general, there are two types of ventilators. There's ventilators that work on patients who actually aren't breathing themselves. That might be because they're severely injured or because they've been given drugs that stop them from breathing, say, during an operation. And there are ventilators that help patients to breathe when they're already breathing. So the uh, Blue Sky ventilator started out as a ventilator that was designed to help a patient breathe who wasn't breathing for themselves. It's effectively a pump that pumps air into the patient's lungs, expanding them a little bit like a party balloon. And allowing the lungs to elastically recoil to get the air back out of the lungs. Um, Of course, there are many different types. You would have heard about things like CPAP or BiPAP devices in the media. That stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. And those can be something as simple as a fan, which just continuously pumps air towards a patient's mouth. They typically have a sealed mask over their face. Um, And it's a little bit like sticking your head out of a windscreen of a or out of a window of a car going at 70 miles an hour. You have this jet of air. Um, aimed at the face, and it makes it much easier for the patient to breathe in and out. And uh, certainly in this this coronavirus pandemic, from a medical point of view, I think the optimum management of patients has, has sort of changed uh, according to the best possible evidence that doctors are seeing in hospitals. So at the beginning, it looked like um, a lot of patients were going to be ventilated, a lot of patients were going to need that artificial support for their breathing. And I think uh, as, as the disease progressed, it certainly looks like... Um, ventilation is perhaps not the best route uh, and it's much more important to try and keep patients off ventilators at the beginning but obviously even now it's a totally dynamically changing field about how best to manage patients and thankfully um, within the UK and certainly within some other countries we're not seeing that same ventilator need uh, that was was uh, projected right at the beginning of this process
0: but obviously as diseases uh, develop and as the, the knowledge about this disease uh, comes we know that now but we, at the time ventilators were very much a priority weren't they and so this was why it was such a uh, such a priority for the government to, to build as many as we could in the uk so you were teamed up with the guys at aston martin rebel racing and Renault f1 to progress your design to a stage where it could go into production what what was that like when they told you? What was your reaction?
2: Well, well the, the the background story there is we, we started off um, just us as a very very small team. This is before working with with uh, Project Pit Lane and and, and the F One teams. Um, and through uh, some contact with the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Programme and uh, Innovate UK, it quickly became clear that as a small team of, of just us, you know, there was no way we were going to be able to produce a device quickly enough and in, in, in quantity. So um, through the NHS programme and Innovate UK, they arranged for me to go up to the uh, Red Bull uh, head offices at Milton Keynes and meet with with Andy, Gamer and Bob Bell. We discussed the idea and I think they, they moulded over that evening and thought actually yes, this is, this is all the sort of project they could help with. So it was an absolutely amazing uh, outcome. Uh, having it was almost like putting a, a turbocharger onto a, onto a project. Um, working with these teams to get get the device produced, and I, have, I have a huge amount of respect and, and gratitude for how the teams kind of stepped up um, to to produce this device. And, and uh, you know, on one hand. It's a shame it was never used but on the other hand it, it's a good thing that you know we, we managed to avoid and dent that peak to the extent where such a great uh, uh, volume of ventilators wasn't needed
0: and you talked a little earlier about how you heard about this project on a Saturday you got a phone call Monday uh, during the week you were in touch with with Matt Hancock and then how quickly after that did you get put in touch with Alistair here and his project and what did you think when you first saw the uh, the ventilator
1: so it all kicked off on on the monday really i started making the calls as uh, as, as you just said it was very hard to get a foot in the door uh, i would you know um with the whole ventilator challenge there were so many people who were who were trying to work on ventilators i mean i was in conversations with jcb and rolls-royce and um dyson they were all doing something uh and it wasn't until the, the friday night of that week I got a call from uh, from Mark Gillen from, from Innovate UKRI. Right. And um, th- it was at that point there they said, "Look, we might have something. This is this is not one of the um, the mainstream ventilators. It's a, a, a rapid response ventilator. Um, <clears throat> would you be interested?" It, it was literally ten minutes ten minute phone call with with, uh, with Mark Gillen, and I said, "Yeah, let's let's have a chat." So that was on the Friday night. On the Saturday, I arranged for myself and Bob Bell to see Alistair. I think came and uh, showed us the device, showed us his his, his invention. What an amazing uh,
0: turnaround! I mean, like you were saying earlier, you you were, you were thinking about Australia, you were th- thinking about the early stages of the of the championship, and then suddenly two or three weeks later, you're you're making ventilators. That's that's incredible.
1: Yeah, I I, I guess um, we're quite used to it in, in Formula One uh, and motorsport in general. We're quite used to uh, uh, being able to react quickly. I think that was the appeal from the, the innovate guys and. Um, and also, I guess that's, <laughs> that's what have found out. Once, once we pick something up, we, you know, we'll, we will run with it. We were quite fortunate as well that most of the F1 teams in that previous week had announced that they were bringing forward the shutdown. So we did have people that were there. We were fortunate in one sense that we were able to uh, uh, redeploy the resource onto this project. Unfortunate that we were in shutdown. So a lot of the infrastructure was being turned off around us uh, because it was a shutdown period, but um, that didn't stop us. I mean, so it's going to yeah, be no
0: surprise to anyone who who follows the sport that Formula One was one of the first ports of call for the government when they needed to put something together like this. Tell us a little bit about that sort of centre of excellence that is in the Milton Keynes area in UK Formula One industry in general, in terms of engineering and design.
1: You know, we we pride ourselves on uh, being able to redesign a part for for a race um, in between in between a two week slot. And that's everything from the design, the initial concept, the design, and the manufacture can be done within that two-week period. A lot of other industries, uh, they normally this takes quite a lot of, a long time, normally because of processes. I wouldn't say that we uh, we go rogue on our processes, you know, because we we are still putting a, a driver on the track and it has to be safe. But we're able to shortcut all of those processes.
0: Did you ever imagine you'd be working on the project of? national importance like this i mean i was obviously formula one's of national no and but it
1: was no i didn't and it and it was exciting it was yeah, exciting and that and that um, that kept us going i think uh, it was a pretty hard slog for all, all concerned uh, there was 27 days straight where we were doing anything between 16 and 20 hour days but you could see the progress every day you could see um, the design the manufacture and the redesign Yes, it was hard because you're learning about medical devices. You know, or, or what, what do you have to comply with, with a medical device? What are the regulatory uh, uh, things that you need to comply with? CE testing, EMC testing. So there was a lot to take in, but it, it was it was a rush.
0: And you managed to get a, a prototype up and running in three weeks, which would have normally taken years. That's a huge achievement, Alistair, You must be. You talked about this being supercharged. I mean, this is really supercharged, isn't
2: it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember uh, we had a meeting on Saturday. I think. A, a, a sort of briefing meeting on the Sunday evening, and by Monday afternoon, I mean Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. There was there, there were parts being created. I think the very first. Uh, use of parts were going in, into real life testing. So the very rigs that were used to test, you know, Formula One components uh, actually had ventilator parts placed onto them so we could simulate real world testing. And that literally started on the Monday. Speed is a bit of an understatement in, in terms of how quickly it was, but I think it's more importantly, it's speed whilst retaining uh, engineering integrity and quality it wasn't, it was a, all parts were a thought, of, thought of from the ground up, all the failure mode analysis um all of the different uh, control algorithms you know it was it was fast and efficient
1: and what was
0: it like working with the guys from Renault and having them alongside you in the factory
1: oh it's fantastic it really was i mean uh, you know a lot of these people well, i know a lot of these people because we've worked you know we've, we've all been in uh in in, in uh, formula One and motorsport for quite a long time so you you either know the people because you've worked with them before in the past or you you've heard of them we've got certain people at, at red bull who who we believe are the best best in the business to come across somebody in a, another an, another company who's equally as good was. Uh quite humbling and um, it was um, it was a joy to work with these people and to see them put the effort in that we were putting in at, at Red Bull as well I mean it was uh, Renault Haas we even had uh, Mercedes guys involved Williams had a, did some rapid prototype for us as well so there was a lot of people involved on this project but yes I guess the, the mainstay was the, the Renault guys uh, Bob, Bob Bell and his team and, um, and us at uh, Red Bull
0: and addison what was it like being welcomed into the heart of Formula 1 and being in, in, a, in an industry which is normally quite secretive and, and you know, understandably needs to keep some of these important engineering developments to themselves.
2: It was an amazing contrast from the, the medical device and, and, and medical industry, which is by definition very conservative um, and very uh, you know, steadfast in its processes for, for understandable reason, and moving into an industry which has that same um, engineering rigor, but is just built on speed and uh, sort of engineering prowess. So it was an amazing experience. I mean, I think I was probably most impressed with the dynamic problem solving abilities of of all the, you know, all the Formula One teams involved, looking at issues that cropped up um, in the design challenge. And and honestly, within hours, even, we would have complete redesigns of components and they'd be on uh, CNC machines starting to be produced. Uh, Certainly an experience I, I, I won't forget in a hurry. And I think, we in the medical device industry and in sort of the medical innovation industry we, we really have things to learn from from the formula one teams and the way in which uh, products prototypes are prototyped so rapidly
0: now as it's turned out the nhs didn't need as many ventilators as were feared which is obviously a good thing but that's not the end of the road for this device is it
2: absolutely i think i think the blue sky ventilator was created with the primary goal as being low cost and able to be manufactured incredibly quickly. And I think most importantly, it was built to not tread on the toes of any other products that needed to go into existing ventilators because we didn't want to get into a, a state where we were competing for parts. So I think the uh, Blue Sky device very much has a future as a rapidly produced product that's um, you know, able to meet what, what the MHRA was setting out as the requirements for uh, coronavirus ventilators. Now, for us uh, moving forward, we're, we're still looking and still developing our sort of low-scale trauma or emergency device where we're, we're taking the time to be able to sort of reduce costs even further and develop a product that we hope can open up portable ventilation to, uh, you know, fragile healthcare economies where patients might not be able to have products um, of of this type when when they're injured.
0: Andy, this isn't the only exciting project you've been working on over the last 12 months or so. Can you tell us a little bit about Red Bull Advanced Technologies?
1: Yeah, Red Bull Advanced Technologies was set up around 2014, so we've been going for a while. We set it up really because we had some engineers and we wanted to give them something other than than Formula One uh, to have a look at, so really it was predominantly simulation and, and modelling-based um, engineering consultancy services. And that was, I guess, the first gig, the first gig we had was uh, with uh, Ben Ainsley Racing on the America's Cup. So we did some course optimization, simulation work for these, these super yachts, something completely different to, to Formula One. You know, that was an extremely interesting project. And then from there, we went on to doing some of the more public uh, projects, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. We started working on that uh, towards uh, early early 15, and and that's still still going at the moment. So that initial discussion with Aston Martin, um, which which led on to the to them becoming our, our title title sponsors. Also, we've been doing stuff with um, using using our uh, expertise in, in aero. We've been wor- working with uh, the IndyCar with the uh, IndyCar Aero screen, which has been gone into into production now, and that's going to be raced this year so a little bit like the the halo but they've got an actual full windscreen so full uh, canopy and then more recently uh, earlier late last year and this year we've been doing some work with uh, a swiss premium bike manufacturer bmc um, and we've designed them a a, a brand new concept uh, bike which they are now taking and uh, putting into a working uh, uh, prototype um, actually two prototypes. So that was an extremely exciting pro- project for, for all, the, all the guys to work on.
0: This is going to be a bike with the, the blood of Red Bull running through it.
1: Exactly, yeah. So we have, uh, we've gone to town on, on this from a, an aerodynamic uh, perspective and uh, we're still maintaining, I would say, it's still a UCI legal bike. So um, it can still be raced. But the, the front end looks quite radical. Uh, Imagining uh,
0: nose cones and uh, spoilers. <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're they're not legal. But um, yeah, I think some of the know, the principles that we've we've uh, employed on this bike have uh, it's all backed up with um, our our CFD and it ultimately it will go into a winter fairly soon.
0: Yeah, the Valkyrie had its first drive on public roads just before lockdown, I think, didn't it? Was it, was it good to see it in
1: the wild? It's been an extremely exciting and, and challenging project, uh, the Valkyrie. Whoever's getting that car, are quite, <laughs> quite lucky. How do these projects, I mean, obviously
0: they're all based around vehicles and movement. How, how do they feed into each other? Is there stuff you can learn from designing a bike, which you can take back into Formula One?
1: I wouldn't say the stuff from the bike. I mean, the, the, the Formula One has, has, has definitely helped that bike project development. Some of the principles that um, and processes that we, we learned whilst we were working with Aston Martin has definitely helped. Formula One, or they will help the Formula One processes. As far as new technology, so far, I think it's only gone one way, which is the the Formula One way out to uh, other industries but it's, it'd be unfair to say that we haven't learned from these other industries. We, we definitely have. We've, uh, we've all learned a lot from working with these other other areas.
0: With the last few months in mind, do you think continuing to work in medical devices might be something that the, uh, the Advanced Technologies team do?
1: We took made a decision well, probably about two years ago because we were looking at lots of different projects. We made a decision to focus on what we know best, which is performance vehicles. So that's why we... We've stayed with um, high-performance cars, um, high-performance push bikes. Whether we go into medical devices will be a, uh, a strategic uh, decision that needs to be made later on. But um, at the moment, we're we are just high-performance high-performance vehicles. That could be anything from boats, cars. Apparently, got a, a submarine coming our way <laughs> uh, for us to have a look at. So, uh, and um, maybe even aircraft. So we're, we're looking at uh, high-performance vehicles. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to to branch into other areas.
0: The rebel submarine—that sounds very <laughs> exciting. Um, Alistair, are you going to continue in medicine, or you switch over to engineering, having had a taste of this?
2: Uh, it's a great question. I I still don't know the answer. I think uh, I, I need to see how this this engineering PhD finishes. I mean, it's in it's in a crazily different direction. It's in uh, orthopedic um, stem cell research. Um, and I need to make it, make a decision at the end of that PhD, but certainly I'm, I'm, I'm pretty attracted to um, surgery. So a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but the honest truth is that I don't know the answer. <laughs> I think certainly I'll be continuing the medical device development on the side.
0: Well, good luck with that, Alistair. Andy, thanks for joining us on Talking Ball.
2: Thanks very much. Thank you very much.
0: Wow. What a project to have worked on. And I also hope to get a ride on that submarine one day now we know we'll hopefully get a return to the track soon but in the meantime we've been taking part in some virtual grand prix with some of the biggest names in the sporting world we turn our attention to monaco and we enlisted rebel athlete tag her ambassador paddleboarder and
3: superstar surfer kai lenny to the driver lineup here he is now so stoked to join you this is awesome i listen to this podcast all the time it's like where I get my fill for Formula One, especially when it's not happening, like now.
0: It's not happening right now, but you've been taking part in the virtual version. We're going to chat about that in a second, but first of all, I can see you, the audience obviously calm, but you're in Hawaii right now. What's life been like over the last couple of weeks?
3: Oh, I'm very lucky to be, I guess, stranded here on an island in the Pacific. Uh, You know what, it's been really nice because for me, I'm a professional surfer, professional water athlete, so I do... A bunch of other sports besides surfing, like windsurfing, kiting, big wave riding, stand up paddling, hydrofoil riding. Um, And so where I live, I live on the water and I can sneak out in the water and, you know, self isolate out there. And it's actually been pretty mellow since we haven't had much cases over the last week. So we've been allowed to just kind of go about life as usual minus going to sit down restaurants or going to the movies, for example. So we're really, really lucky, I would say. We're probably in the best place you could be at this point. Absolutely.
0: And I guess without tourists being there as well, it's been quite quiet. You've probably had some experiences that you wouldn't normally have had in any other situation.
3: Yeah, no, there's a few beaches uh, here in Hawaii that, you know, I didn't realize there was that much sand on them because normally they're pretty packed with people and you know, why wouldn't you want to come visit Hawaii and hang out? I do not blame anybody, but it has been pretty cool to see the island very empty and kind of can imagine what it would have been like back in the day, maybe 50 years ago. Um, So at least I got a taste of that and I don't have to imagine it. Um, That being said, you know, our islands definitely, you know, lean on tourism and um, to keep the economy going. So I think when everything sort of comes back to, semi-normal, it'll definitely help to have everyone back again. I mean, I have a lot of friends that want to come out and I want to see them. So hopefully they can visit soon.
0: Your natural habitat is, of course, the sea and the water. But for one day, you were a Formula One driver. You took part in the virtual Monaco Grand Prix alongside Alex at the weekend. How was it?
3: Well, you know what? It was a dream come true. (laughs) I have been a huge fan of Formula One, gosh, since maybe 2011 when I was first introduced to it. You know, being from an island on Maui, you know, it's like, you you don't get exposed to the kind of motorsports stuff unless somebody kind of shows it to you or, you know, you get to travel and see it firsthand. You know, I've always been into sort of motorsports, but when I really figured out Formula One, it was like, there was so much going on about it. It was so interesting and to actually take part in a virtual race and for one split second, Think that maybe I was a Formula One driver that was pretty damn cool, and i 'm such a perfectionist and um, super competitive i've won so much in my sports, so to go into a sport being like a complete noob, a beginner was uh pretty terrifying, but I felt like it was a good challenge to try to learn something and learn it quick. It takes forever to get anything shipped here so by the time the simulator came to the island, I had maybe just over a week, eight days to kind of get ready and acquainted from never driving a simulator and it was because alex and you know some advice from max that i was able to sort of figure it out um i definitely feel like if i had one more week i might have been a few spots further up in the ranking.
0: So, Red Bull shipped out the full virtual uh, simulator, the, the Grand Prix simulator with the chair and the screen and, and the proper uh, the proper steering wheel. What was that like to drive? Did that make it feel even more real?
3: You know what? It was crazy because it's just nothing like driving my normal truck. Um, I actually have a pretty <laughs> murdered out truck. It's a uh, it's a Ford Raptor, but it's kind of has a Baja kit on it. So, you know, to me, it feels like a race car. But when I got on the sim you know, I realize you have to be thinking one whole turn ahead. And if you're really good, you're probably thinking two turns ahead. And you got to start turning the steering wheel barely, but you got to do it before the next corner and very much gentle on the gas and, you know, slamming on the brakes, but maybe for a brief second before you gently bring your foot off. So the opposite of driving a normal car where, you know, you're gentle on the brakes and you're kind of slamming down the pedal since there's a huge delay. And, It made driving my truck not seem that much fun anymore. I'm like, gosh, I need to get myself into an actual fast car.
0: (laughs) So how did your race pan out? How did you do?
3: Well, so I did a bunch of practice races. I actually did a practice race before the actual race on the day, and um, I thought it was going to go good. But what totally threw me for a loop was when they put um, kind of the wet setting on, and all of a sudden I had to do qualifying in the rain. And just reading what they sent over to me, I... I didn't expect that because they said everything was going to be in dry and maybe it was a mistake or maybe it was for entertainment value. And I accidentally did one wet qualifying actually and one of the trainings, but I kind of like I did half of it and I quit because I was like, oh, I accidentally left it on wet or whatever, or it was on random. And I was just going, gosh, I should have trained that. It's just like surfing where you can train at every single thing, but you just never know what's going to actually happen because, In the ocean, no two waves are the same, even if you're surfing the same spot all day. And I should have known better. I was slipping and sliding and getting in all of my favorite F1 driver's ways. Even got in front of Alex on one point because I was like sliding. I didn't know how to like go in the rain and it was hilarious. It was kind of embarrassing. I ended up getting disqualified (laughs) because I slid and then I kind of lost some fuel. Um, Two seconds from making it back to the pits, I didn't make it. So I had to start dead last. I was like super bummed. I was actually pretty pissed. But I had a really good start once it was dry and I got up to 14th and I was holding 14th for a bit. And then um, another driver just ran me into the wall on the inside corner and I just spun and I was dead last again. I was like, this can't be happening. I have to be like finishing really well. So it it was crazy.
0: So Monaco in the rain as well. I mean, this is a baptism of fire for any driver
3: yeah i mean you know what i didn't try one other track on the sim besides monaco for fear that i might realize how hard it is and i know firsthand how hard it can be just from being in monaco um, watching the actual gp like i was last year and you know it totally added to the respect i have for the actual drivers who are in real cars and there's no tapping anything um and it's so narrow i'm like how do you even pass and you have to be pretty courageous to go for a pass even in a sim and when you do do that you end up rubbing the wall or hitting somebody else it's unbelievable it actually gives me a whole new perspective on what the guys do on the track i always had that respect for them that's why i was such a fan because they're going so fast they so extreme but man monaco's legit and i'm and the cars keep getting bigger it seems or they have been over the last you know few seasons so it's how do they even fit those things around there it's crazy
0: how nervous were you before the race i mean obviously it's virtual but you know there are people watching there are teammates there are there's expectation there as well
3: you know i was really nervous because i really wanted to prove myself that i could do something you know not be completely dead last and spinning out and not having good laps i wanted to really have like a couple really good runs and the whole time i i felt like the not the pressure, but I kind of felt the responsibility to uphold the Red Bull Racing name. And you know what, I don't think I really did. But at least I didn't come dead last. And um, I had a few good laps. But you know, when I first was asked, it was funny, because I was doing something pretty extreme already. I was like, standing on these rocks. um, When I got this phone call where these waves were probably hitting this rock and sending spray 50 to 60 feet in the air. And I was like more scared of when I heard the phone call than kind of the waves coming in off these rocks before I was trying to jump in the water. And I was like, wow, just a shift of perspective, what you're comfortable in versus what you're like completely new to and you're not comfortable in, which is, you know, driving a car, be it even virtual. Yeah, it was, I was terrified even right before the race was, I was like trying to rely on all of the things I've learned surfing big waves when you got to go face something that could kill you and well sitting in a chair couldn't kill me but maybe emotionally yes
0: <laughs> well two guys who go through that same emotion every race at the max and alex are drivers you had some simulator training with them we can have a quick listen to some of that now
2: Awesome. Kai will be faster than me. Already. No,
3: I dude, I doubt it.
2: <laughs> that, that's it, Kai. That's perfect, right there. Oh. It, it tends to be that when you do that corner good, you'll tend to overshoot the next one.
3: Yeah, I definitely gotta like hit the brakes a little more than I was.
2: I also need some surfing lessons.
3: I was, uh, I was just gonna say I was trying to convince Max so I could take, it, let him take him surfing. Yes. And I was like, you gotta do like a. A Red Bull project where you take the cars here in Hawaii.
2: Would there be a way to pull you on like a like a rope where the cars, the F1 cars, on the beach?
3: Sure, that'd be possible. I think over here maybe not, but I feel like somewhere in Europe for sure. You know, like one of the lakes in Austria, Switzerland. You know, when the roads are like right there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That'd be cool. So, Kai, was their advice helpful?
3: Oh yeah. Alex and Max's advice were extremely helpful. I only got to speak to Max briefly. And, uh, but what he told me was just don't hit the walls like I do. And I thought that was pretty (laughs) funny because, you know, I was teasing him that he just kisses the walls, but it helps him go faster because he's really on that line. But no, Max told me just to be like basically gentle on the pedal, you know, like don't be like flat out. I think being a complete beginner, um, I had the tendency to want to just be kind of flat out, to flat braking, you know, where you kind of have to massage it a little bit. And that really helped. I think they were giving me pretty basic information. I got to do a bunch of basically practice races with Alex. And just by following him, I got to figure out the racing line better than the actual kind of, like, line that the game gives you. I understood, like, how are these guys doing 108s and I can barely do a 113? Like, I just couldn't understand it. I'm, like, trying to go as fast as I could – But what they told me too is like, don't try to go super fast. Just try to do everything perfect. And what we kind of came down to is the second sector was my slowest part. And the first I was actually on pace and the second I was, or the third, I was just off of it. So if I could work on my second, then I could, you know, really uh, get through. And I think one, one tip Alex gave me that was pretty cool was um, don't try to oversteer, just be kind of like predicting it a little earlier. Cause if you try to oversteer, the, the, the steering wheel you know you're almost losing speed because the wheels are so sideways by the time they catch i don't know i'm still i still need some advice from those guys but that got me down from like 117 in the beginning to 113 so it oh was, wow that's a
0: huge improvement um yeah. would you fancy giving the real track a, a go in a real car
3: oh 100 and there's nothing more in the world than i would love to but i feel like i still have so much training to do and um, The Sim was a good eye-opener. I, I never in a million years thought or think that I could get in a real car, but if that ever opportunity ever came up, it would be like a dream come true for sure because when I was at Monaco for the Grand Prix, when I was um, you know, in Austin um, for a Grand Prix a couple years ago as well, I just couldn't get my eyes off the car. I was like, gosh, I can't imagine just sitting in a thing like a rocket ship on land. Um, that opportunity if it ever comes up would be absolutely insane but i would want to do really good you know i wouldn't want to be like you know basically falling out of the gearing and 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 you know doing terrible
0: (laughs) so you were there last year were you you saw the race in monaco
3: yeah it was just watching that race between max and lewis um you know at the head of the pack was pretty crazy and it was just crazy how it, it proved how hard it was because um, you know Lewis had some degrading tires and Max was just like on one he was just hitting basically every apex and, and trying to get any sort of opening to uh, pass Lewis but Lewis is a master at blocking and that basically I think it was maybe the second to last lap right when um, there was that huge lockup, and Max went for the uh, swimming pool chicane and it was just like it was almost a big disaster and he almost basically got into first it was crazy that was like really exciting because I watch that race every single year and I would say that was one of the most, most exciting races Consider even the midfield was um, it was very dynamic as well. Um, there was like you know some other drivers that were started way back versus where they would normally start in the front and, and it was just there was some chaos especially like that hairpin how everybody just kind of got stacked up that was wild. I'm like imagine being on a good lap and all of a sudden everyone's in your way. I guess yeah. that happens there. There's no People going come around. Comes
0: to an end so quickly, doesn't it? Tell us about the uh, Red Bull Energy Station as well. That's always a highlight on that circuit.
3: It just blew my mind. the The Red Bull Energy Station, especially, just the amount of infrastructure that goes into a race. A race that you know has basically two hours of actual driving. Maybe it, it was pretty nuts to see you know that place with the swimming pool, which is pretty iconic now. With yeah. you know winners of the past, like Daniel Ricardo doing his belly flop in there. And, uh, you know, then you see like, kind of the heaviest of the heavy celebrities and sportsmen in the entire world there. I mean, the food was insane. I would see before I even met Alex and Max, you'd see them walking through to go to kind of their area to get either prepared for the race or take a bit away from everyone. And it was just wild. Like, I'm like, dude, this thing, if you had to build something like this here in Hawaii, it would take you like two months. And these guys built it in what two days and it was taken down in two days just remarkable i mean i love seeing what goes into the race weekend beyond the track and the red bull energy station is probably the the coolest kind of outfit outside of the track
0: so tell us about the, the, the the similarities between driving a formula one car albeit virtual and being a surfer i guess that they're both similar in that you have to sort of push it as far as you can but try not to cross the line
3: Yeah, no, I think um, there's a lot of similarities between Formula One and um, big wave surfing. That being said, I don't know exactly what it's like, but from my experience on the sim to watching the guys on the track and just being near these amazing machines, you know, you have to be kind of in the moment, but you can't be thinking too much. At least in big wave surfing, you got to be looking basically at the landscape in front of you. Like on a wave, for example, you don't know what the wave's going to do, just like you don't know what the other races are gonna do around you. And you're all within, you know, millimeters of each other. Um, And you basically really gotta just focus on um, kind of the stuff that comes before you. And relying on your skill and being confident. Um, you wanna be pushing to the limit, but if you push too far, that wave's gonna pick you up and slam you down extremely hard. So I can imagine you'll go into a wall in a race car. I hear you've got a Red Bull liveried surfboard. Actually, okay, it's funny. I've, I painted every single one of my surfboards like the um, Red Bull racing colors. So it's, they're blue with a red stripe down the middle. It's like the yeah. closest idea to it. So I have 112 boards that are all painted like an F1 car. And people always ask me, why did you choose that color? And it's kind of a bad color for surfing because the wax melts because it's blue gets really hot. But I'm like, I'm F1, it's an F1 car. And they're like, oh. And actually a lot of my friends have been starting to paint their boards and they've been looking more like F1 cars, like different colors. But like they've, it's funny. Classic.
0: <laughs> what uh, is the state of play with surfing competitions this year, Kai? Do you reckon they're going to kickstart? You reckon they're going to get going again?
3: Yeah, the hope for the surfing competitions is they will get up and running. It's kind of a similar situation with the Formula One season. Surfing is uh, a traveling sport. You know, we go to all corners of the globe, and a lot of the contests are canceled um, for now. And I think as soon as traveling becomes something that's kind of more of the regular um, that that opportunity to go to these events will happen. Um, So, I mean, gosh, I'm a huge fan of surfing as much as I'm a huge fan of F1 and um, the funny story is I was in a surfing competition down in Tahiti and formula one was about to start in Australia and it was like, whatever the day before. And I figured out a TV that had the station and I was so eager. I had just watched, you know, the drive to survive series on Netflix I've been watching like every breakdown F1 video on YouTube. It's like my number one recommendation. And I was just so excited. I was so pissed when it wasn't going to happen because where I was in Tahiti was like sweltering hot and not good internet, but I was going to have it on TV. And I was there for a competition. And I was like more bummed that the race wasn't happening than than the fact that we didn't have that creative waves for the contest. I ended up not even doing the contest because – the uh, coronavirus hit down in Tahiti and uh, we all had to to bail and, and leave. They canceled the event before my heat even started. So it was like a double whammy. I was just like, are you kidding me? I've waited all winter break for this and now I have to wait until God knows when, July, August. So it was crazy.
0: So you'll be more keen to see the Formula One season get back up and running than maybe the surf competitions.
3: I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to the F1 season more only because my whole world is surfing. And so, you know, there's so much to learn watching F1 and surfing though is like my number one priority in my life for sure. But, you know, on an entertainment level, I just want to like see everyone go to battle in F1.
0: I wonder whether it's the same there. Here in London, a lot of people have been getting out and doing more exercise and maybe it's one of the, positive things that might come out over the last uh, of, the, of what's happened over the last few months is that people might be taking care of themselves a little bit more. I saw a guy paddle boarding on the Thames on uh, Sunday. Do you reckon that could be a new way of getting around our cities?
3: You know what? I, I absolutely agree with you. It's been kind of astonishing because the beach where I live next to is, you know, on the weekends, there's a bunch of families always down here. Um, but it's never like crazy. It's been crazy like cars parked for a mile down the road to go to this small little beach. And I think two reasons, a couple of the other beaches were closed, but I feel like more families and more people have been getting out. Like it hasn't been uncrowded surfing here in Hawaii. It's like, it's been really crowded because all the locals that do live here, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they don't have jobs. They don't um, have, I guess, scheduled plans. So what do you do? You go to the beach, you go surfing, or you go up to the mountain and you go mountain biking or something like that. So um, it's, it's, I've been seeing a lot of people on the bike paths. I've seen a lot of people exercising, and that's amazing. I, The ocean, in my opinion, is the greatest playground in the entire world. It gives you so much opportunity and kind of endless space, too, to go do something fun. You can always be alone. And uh, and so that's. it's been really cool to see. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, places like London, you're seeing, like, people being active. I mean, what else are you going to do? Sit around inside all day. If you can get out and do something, that's way more fun. You know, hopefully it just leads to kind of healthier lifestyle when everybody just has to go back to to work and, you know, people carve out a part of their day where they can go do something.
0: Absolutely. Kai. brilliant to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on Talking Ball.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Looking forward to watching F1 when it returns and looking forward to many more podcasts from you guys. Mahalo.
0: That's almost it for this edition of Talking Ball. We'll leave you with another exclusive track from Red Bull Records. This is Daily Chiefers and 1050 called My Lane. We'll be back with some more behind-the-scenes content from the world of Red Bull Racing and Red Bull very soon. Until then,
4: take care. in my lane, lane. on my d- Blowing blues in the flange Diamond VVS, no vs tools in my chains know rough in these shoes in the rain Better watch your you might be losing your man She don't usually she just said a dude as a lane. Don't call the one up, my mood just might change Whole squad going up, I'm on the move with the gang up with my dog, my whole crew got a range Draco got some kick, but I could shoot, I got aim Was broke, I got a check, not to be rude, can't complain Got my haters sick, they all confused and deranged Dining all my clothes, yeah Shooting shot Falling hard with the team We got Chevrolet, yeah Pulling up on the scene That you never seen When I got married to the dope game I was 17 I'm a legend Cause I'm cruising my lane Babies, you my d- Blowing blues in the flames Diamonds, VVS, no VS2s in my chains All the d- rough and these shoes in the rain Better watch you, You might be losing your mind she don't use it, she just said the dude is a lame Don't call the one up, my mood just might change Whole squad going up, I'm on the move with the Fresh her with my dog, who she doing her thing? Huh, twerking on the stage, all her bills getting paid huh, Paid off in a day, she can't lose with that frame She be going insane, got me losing my brain Might just drain my bank, all these juice need a drink Bangin' blood like veins, please excuse all these chains Ice all on my neck, like it bruised in the spring Chasing clucks, sure they using my name Cause I'm cruising my lane Babies, on my d- blowing blues in the flames Diamonds, VVS, no VS2s in my chains No the d- rough in these shoes in the rain Better watch your you might be losing your mind She don't use this, she just said a dude is a line. Don't call the one up, my mood, just my change. Host squad going up, I'm on the moon with the gang. Fresh though with my dog.